Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. This is Andrea Schwartz. This podcast interview was actually conducted back in August of 2014, and although a number of years have passed, I think it's an important topic and one I'd want to share with my listeners. Today, my guest is a young woman who I first met when she was a young girl. She was part of the homeschool choir that I ran. Anna Menges is her name. Hello, Anna. Hi. Good to have you with me. I'm sharing... Anna's story today because Anna is a young woman who was born with spina bifida, and I'll let her explain what that is. So when I was born, I had a tumor on my spinal cord, which was we found out through an MRI when I was four months old, and basically my spinal cord was growing through the tumor, so my spinal cord was caught. So that caused nerve damage and didn't allow the proper development of my leg, um, my left leg in particular, and other things as well. So when they discovered that at four months old, they went through the process of battling with the insurance to get me approved for a tethered cord release surgery when I was five months old, which they did at UCSF. Because of the nerve and muscle damage that I had from that surgery, I have worn a ankle foot orthotic or a brace on my left leg ever since. And I walk with a slight limp because my legs are two different sizes. Is spina bifida a genetic disorder or is it just an anomaly that happens as the baby's growing in the womb? It's an anomaly. There was for a while they were thinking that it was caused by a lack of folic acid in the mother. So they have suggested that people with spina bifida should take folic acid when they are considering starting a family, but it is not genetic. It can't be traced to, I don't have any higher percentage of having a kid with spina bifida than another person. It's a birth defect. So is this something that could have been detected with prenatal screenings? Not 21 years ago. Like many disabilities, there's a spectrum of severity. Mine was fairly less severe. Nowadays, with the advances in technology in the past 21 years, they probably would be able to detect detect my type of spina bifida, but back then they couldn't. But yes, it can be detected in in utero. Now, this is sort of a touchy subject, but is it the sort of detection that might prompt a woman to consider abortion? Yes. Um, Next to Down syndrome, which can also be tested in utero, discovered in utero, spina bifida is the second top disability that causes people to decide to um, abort because of a disability. Now, you're someone with spina bifida. You're someone who has lived with it. Uh, My experience with you, unless it was brought to my attention, I would never even notice that something was different. Does it make you angry that there are people who would consider ending a life because their child has spina bifida? 
I don't think it would I don't think angry is the right emotion. I think more sad because they don't understand because of again it depends on the severity of spina bifida. Almost all the people I have personally encountered along with myself with spina bifida don't have any brain damage. It's a it's more of a physical disability. So most of the people that I have encountered with spina bifida have been able to live full normal lives, get college degrees, get married, have families, do what the world considers normal. But it makes me sad that people would decide not to let their child live because of, you know, the, quote, inconvenience of having to deal with someone with a disability. Now, this may be hard for you to remember, but can you share when you first were aware of the fact that the way you had to live your life with the special uh, whether it's tools or equipment or just considerations that had to be made by your parents that you were different than other girls and boys? Um, probably one of my first memories is I need medical help in using, you know, doing basic functions like going to the restroom. And when I was little and was unable to do that for myself, my mom would have to help me. So I remember being in, you know, the kindergarten Sunday school class or the four-year-old Sunday school class. And between services, my mom would have to get me, take me to the bathroom, and then, you know, bring me back. And along with the fact that I couldn't run and jump and, you know, I had to always wear my, my brace, that was another thing that was like, well, well, normal kids, you know, they just tell the teacher and they can go potty and, you know, I can't. So that was probably my first recollection that something was different about me. Now, when you said your mother would need to give you assistance going to the restroom, that's because why? Was it that you couldn't get onto the toilet or is there another reason? I catheterized myself to empty my bladder. And when I was little, I was unable to perform that. I think I learned to do it myself when I was about 10, 9 or 10. So before that, I was just unable to perform the functions medically necessary to keep myself clean and everything while performing the procedure. So my mom would have to help me with that. You probably won't recall this, but I'm sure you've heard the story. Did your have your parents shared with you, which I assume they have, what it was like when they discovered that you had this disability? Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. If you look at my baby pictures, because you know when, when a when a baby is born, normally the parents take pictures like you can kind of track because when a baby is born, you keep track of how old they are by months. So when I was three and four months old, everything looks pretty normal. I look like a happy, normal kid. Right around four months, you can see that my left foot totally starts to drop and totally is not functioning like a normal foot would, which was the indication that my mom knew something wasn't right. And so just working through that and then, you know, the MRIs and all of a sudden, you know, I was a normal, quote, normal healthy baby until I was around four months old. And then all of a sudden the litany of doctor's visits and MRIs and tests and insurance calls and everything that came upon them all of a sudden was was very overwhelming obviously for my mom i haven't talked to my dad as much about it but 
my mom was very overwhelmed and very much like not prepared for this at all. Did she seek out support groups of people who had similar situations, or where, where did she find her outlet for sanity? That was through women's Bible studies. My parents had gone through infertility before they were able to have me. I'm an only child because they weren't able to have any other kids. So she was able to go through the women's Bible studies. This was the days before everyone had you know, Yahoo groups and easily accessible things like that. So it wasn't until I was older that she was able to connect with other moms with kids with spina bifida. But just through other moms in the church, we were going to church at the time. They were very supportive. They, you know, the pastor's wives and various members of the family were, you know, always praying for me. I'll meet people even now, and they're like, well, you don't remember me, but I prayed for you when you had your surgery. How many surgeries did you have to have in order to get things right? So when I was five months old, I had a tethered cord release surgery. Um, When I was four and when I was seven, I had tendon transfers in my left foot to try to make it respond differently, to try to um, correct some of the muscle damage that had occurred when I was born. And those were both with varying degrees of success. I still don't have a lot of function in my left foot, but they helped. When I was six, my my spinal cord, as I grew, re-tethered, re-caught on the scar tissue from my original surgery. And when I was 14, they did another back surgery, another tethered cord release surgery to release that. But Lord willing, because they were able to do it once I had pretty much stopped growing, they shouldn't have to do another one of those surgeries in my lifetime. Is the condition painful or just inconvenient? It's mainly inconvenient. It's rather annoying to get up in the morning and have to put on my brace and, you know, shoe shopping is a pain you know, I can't wear flip-flops, I can't wear sandals, I always have to have a sock on. That's the inconvenience of it. I take longer in the restroom, I have to use the restroom on a schedule, which is especially now a lot of fun to try to figure out college classes and my schedule. But it's not really, like, on a day-to-day level, it's not painful. All right. Now, it's funny to me, as somebody who has seen you grow up, I didn't know you as a a very little girl, but when you talk about having almost no use of your leg, I've seen you in dance recitals. (laughs) (laughs) How does a person who has not a lot of use of her leg participate in dance recitals? Well, I was blessed when I was, after I had those tendon transfer surgeries and they were able to put some function back into my left leg, I was blessed to find a dance studio. It was a Christian dance studio, so all the music honored God, all the moves honored God, and the teachers were more interested in letting you worship God through dance than, you know, every step has to be executed perfectly. So I was able to work with them to explain, you know, well, I I can't do this on this foot. Can I be put on another side of the choreography so I can do it on my other foot? Or various accommodations like that. You know, can I make it look like I'm doing what everybody else is doing even when I'm not? And through God's grace, I was able to keep doing that and with different teachers and different studios for 
about 10 years I was able to do dance. After doing dance for a while, my physical therapist was like, oh, well, you're clearly having much more fun at dance class, so you don't need to come to physical therapy anymore. You just keep doing your dance class. So I did. It was so much more fun. Yes, I can imagine. And I've seen you in plays, and I've seen you in choirs. And like I said, without pre-knowledge, and your mom had told me since I was the one administering the choir that you would have special needs and circumstances, I never saw you make a big to-do about the what was normal for you that might not be normal for other people. Was there ever a point that you started feeling sorry for yourself and your parents had to deal with that? Not really. It's funny because one of my best friends asked me not that long ago if I could if I could start if I could live my life over, would I choose to have a spina bifida or not? Um and there have definitely been days where it's like, well, especially nowadays that, you know, ultimate frisbee is what all my friends like to play and I can't run very well. So, you know, there's definitely been days where I've come home and it's like, man, I wish I could do that. And yes, I've shed a lot of tears over, you know, 21 years of not being able to do the things my friends are doing. But I don't think I ever felt sorry for myself long enough that it became an issue with my parents, like that I had to bring it up to them. Again, because I was able to I was able to do a lot, but, you know, I focused on, you know, instead of trying to go out and play soccer, I focused on dance, which I could accommodate, or singing, which doesn't require moving your legs at all. So, yeah, and, you know, a lot of prayer went into a lot of, a lot of my days. <laughs> Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. I met you in homeschooling circles. Were you always homeschooled? I was. I was homeschooled from kindergarten all the way through um, high school. So a lot of times you hear people being bullied, made fun of in public schools. In homeschool, obviously, you're the student in your family's house, but there were extracurricular activities like we've just mentioned. Did you ever notice that people were mean because you had a disability? No. I. There was a time when I was, when we would have prayer meetings at church, and there would be like a set group of us, and some of the older boys, they were a couple years older than I was, and um, they would they would be teasing me and sometimes they would say stuff teasing about my brace or whatever. At the time I thought they were being mean. Now looking back, I think they were just being older boys and just doing what they sometimes do. But for the most part, no, I, I did a lot of, once I got older, my braces became, uh, my brace became as inconspicuous as possible the purple decorations, the horses, the flowers that I used to have on it when I was seven, um, you know, by the time I was 11 or 12, became, you know, just white, basic, as inconspicuous as possible. I would, you know, I wore long pants a lot of the time, so it wasn't as obvious. Not necessarily hiding it on purpose. You know, if people asked, I will give a give an explanation, but there was definitely a point where I was like, well, if I can avoid 
give you the explanation, I will. Now, I know that a passion, and this passion probably started off as that when you would go to the Johnny and Friends camps, that you probably went as a camper. Mm-hmm. Now you go as a camp counselor. Why don't you share a little bit about what Johnny and Friends is all about and, and what it's meant for you to participate with it? Okay. So... Johnny and Friends is a ministry of Johnny Erickson Tata, who when she was 17, dove into the Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck. She, after becoming a quadriplegic and dealing with that, she started a ministry to help other families that are affected by disability, either in the children or in the parents. So she, through this ministry, they've started um, family retreats every summer around the country, actually around the globe now, Um, where families affected by disability can come and have a normal camp experience. So when I was nine, my mom had known about Johnny and her ministry for a long time, but when I was nine, it finally worked out for us to attend our first Johnny and Friends retreat. And that was when I actually started meeting other people with spina bifida, plus other disabilities. And my parents were able to talk to other moms and dads who had children with spina bifida, who were older than I was, so they could kind of walk them through, like, what the next few years would be like. So when I was nine, that's when we started. And now this past year, I served at my 20th family retreat in the past 13 years. I've been doing two a year for a while up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. When I was 15... I decided I didn't want to be a camper anymore. I wanted to volunteer as a short-term missionary, or STM, as we call them. STMs are assigned one-on-one to the children of the families or to the adults, the the person with a disability, the typical siblings who may not have a disability but have to deal with having a sibling with a disability. And really, it's changed my life to be able to see you know, how other people with disabilities cope with their lives on an everyday basis and be able to share with them, especially new families, that, hey, it's okay. You may have a disability, but doesn't mean that you can't love God and worship God and have a normal life, and it's become a huge part of my life. And not only is it a huge part of your life, but your circle of friends, you haul a whole bunch of people <laughs> with you to camps every summer to be camp counselors as well. Yes, I do. When I was 15, I was able to persuade one of my best friends to come with me for the first time and because she was 16 and was able to volunteer. And we were assigned the same family, and she had an amazing week. And then... The next year, I convinced another couple of my friends to come, and I've lost track of who's come when and how many have come, but I've been able to invite a lot of my circle of friends to come with me, and they've invited their friends. They're involved in disability ministries at their churches, and it's strengthened our friendships as well because we've you know, we've served together and it's a crazy week at Johnny and Friends. It's an amazing week, and you come away so changed that it's it's neat to see my close friends share a passion for something that I've had such a passion for for so long. 
do you recommend it for people who don't have disability in their lives to go and experience it to possibly change their attitude instead of feeling sorry for people who have physical or emotional or mental issues to see that there's a whole group of people who are willing to support not only them but their family? Yes, I do. Um, I believe that because we live in a fallen world that disability will touch everybody in some aspect of their lives. We live in the Silicon Valley, which has the highest, I believe, the highest highest percentage of children with autism, and that number just keeps getting bigger. You know, disability can come on at any time. Somebody could be in a car accident and end up using a wheelchair. You know, they can have a kid with it or, you know, their sister could have a kid with it or even if it doesn't touch their lives through their family, you know, in their church, there could be a family that has, you know, a child born with autism or Down syndrome, not pity them, but to be able to know how to interact with them in a proper way that doesn't show that, oh, I just feel sorry for you, but actually I want to help you and support you. And I imagined that for a lot of people, I know it's true with me, that you think that you're helping the person with the disability, but very often you're the one who comes away with a whole lot more. Oh, yeah, totally. There's a, there's a lot of stories at camp. We hear there's almost one every year of a brand-new volunteer, brand-new STM who comes in who says, you know, I came in here as, a, as an able-bodied person or even a person with a disability like mine, thinking, oh, I'm going to help these poor people with disabilities, and then realizing, you know, this person can't talk, but you can totally tell when they're worshiping the Lord. Or, you know, this person can't walk, but sure, they can dance in the talent show, or how, whatever the case may be. That's great. So, you've told us a couple of times that you're 21 years old. What's Anna doing now? What's What, what are you doing to prepare for the future that God's going to give you? Well, I just graduated from West Valley Community College. I will be um, finishing up my college career at Santa Clara University in the fall, um, getting a degree in child development. At this point, I'm looking at early elementary teaching, but I'm also open because it's a fairly broad degree. I'm also open to working with you know kids with disabilities in various capacities. I work at my church with the kids' ministry. We do a kids' musical every summer. I will be helping direct that in the fall. Not Sorry, not every summer, every fall. We have a few children with disabilities at our church. I was able to help with a little four-year-old who has autism on Sunday. So I want to help spearhead a disability ministry at my church along with getting my degree and moving on in in the field of working with kids mainly. I asked if it was a genetic defect or an anomaly. I'm having a hard time calling what's happened to you an anomaly since God has used you and used it in so many positive ways. I, I don't think it's it's correct to call it an anomaly. <laughs> if there's one thing in closing that you would like to share with parents who might get a unpleasant diagnosis prenatally for their child or discover like your 
parents did that their child doesn't have everything working in what we consider normal, what would you say? It's not the end of the road. It's not. There's a great poem called Welcome to Holland, and I don't have the whole thing memorized, but it's basically you you plan and you prepare like you're going to Italy. That's where you want to end up. You read all the guidebooks. This is where you want, you know, you're planning your trip to Italy, and all of a sudden you get off the plane and your flight attendant says, welcome to Holland. And your life has suddenly taken a completely different turn than you planned because everyone has expectations of how, you know, if they have if they're pregnant with a child, they they have kind of expectations of how this child's going to live. And all of a sudden, those expectations aren't the same. But learn to see the beautiful things about the situation. Learn to see what your child can do instead of focusing on what they can't do, which is what I was able to do. I was able to focus, instead of focusing on the fact that, oh, all my friends are on soccer teams and I can't play soccer, I was able to focus on, well, I can dance, so maybe I'll just focus on dance instead, um, which is what, you know, my parents did as well. And be flexible. Let the Lord lead in how you train your child and how you raise them. But it's not the end of the world, and they can have a full life, even if the doctors don't say so. Good, because the doctors are only working on what they know from the past, and we know that with God, all things are possible. Exactly. By way of people being interested in maybe they'd like to pursue finding out more about Johnny and Friends, how would they find out more about that? They could go to johnnyandfriends.org. And if they're in, excuse me, if they're in this area, we have a Bay Area, Bay Area area ministry in Castro Valley, which works on the whole Bay Area. But there's area ministries all around the country, and I would recommend just going to JohnnyandFriends.org and looking at what the area ministries do, what the different ministries are, the family retreats, um, Wheels for the World, other church relations ministries, and reading more about Johnny, excuse me, what um, her heart behind the ministry is and what opportunities are in your area. Well, thank you. And I hope people do take you up on that one. Anna, it's just been such a pleasure watching you grow up and you encourage me, but you do it in such an easygoing way that I, I, I don't have anything other than respect for you but knowing that the future for you is something that whatever comes your way, you're used to, as they say, taking lemons and turning them into lemonade. <laughs> anyway, I thank you for spending time with me today, and uh, I wish you the best. Thank you. Join me again next time for another segment of The Kingdom Driven Family. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.